Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 938 with David Sloan. And again, I think there's just a way to solve the problem. Restaurants are, at the end of the day, if you become a restaurateur, you love to take care of people. You love to give people great food. You want to feed people. That's part of like what your DNA is. And I think this charity just fits right into that. And it's simple for the consumer to understand. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program this is something that's never been done before this 60-day event is at no cost to you but it's not for everyone fred langley ceo of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the restaurant system pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants fred will teach you recipe costing cards guidance in your books for accounting cash control sales forecasting checklist budgeting for the entire year scheduling for profit it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp with excitement, allow me to introduce you to today's guest, former CEO and founder of Naf Naf Grill and managing partner at Venture Kitchen, David Sloan. David, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am, man. I'm excited to be here. This is great. Dude, I'm excited too. Yeah. You're, you're going to be awesome. You, you, you came onto our radar by way of Joe Fontana, okay. and I got a lot of respect for Joe Fontana over at Fry the Coop. Great guy. Great guy. He had amazing things to say about you, and after doing just a little bit of research, I agree this is probably probably going to be a no pressure yeah this is going to be an awesome episode i can't wait but let's of course get, let's, let's go after it, let's man. get that motivational inspirational yeah. ball rolling with the success quarter mantra what do you got for us so what i got for you so on yeah. this uh morning let's get motivated by like to live my life knowing that we're gonna die mm. that's i i love that mm. and you know i know it's morbid but i i think you know when you when you kind of look through your life through that lens um, you know, you appreciate every day you have. Yeah. I, uh, you know, my mother passed away when I was young, mm. so I, I kind of live a, a different perspective. I, I dealt with death when I was, uh, you know, young, and I think I've lived my entire life just enjoying every day I have. You know, I, I love to tell my wife I love her every time I get. Uh, I love to hug my kids a little bit more. And I think it gives you a different perspective on life. And, yeah. and it's like, you know, not only, not only, with the people that you love, but also with your business. You know, you, you want to do something you have passion for. And I was very fortunate enough to get into the restaurant business and, like, really find my passion. I absolutely love what I do. I love feeding people. I love introducing people to new cuisines. Um, it just gets me excited and gets yeah, me pumped. Man. It's yeah. awesome. And it's just this, this mindset of, like, the people that live the destination mindset of, like, it's, it's about the destination. You might never get there. You know, yeah. like something might happen to you. So live the life that you want to live later now and yeah. just start. And like whatever it is, like don't have like it won't take it won't be like an overnight like success to get there. Like no. you, you're going to have to like work to do things like I'm looking at myself with the podcast. Like it didn't happen overnight where I could be on the road doing what I'm doing now, living the life that I was chasing then. But start today 
you know, and don't wait, like, because it might not ever happen. That's no, kind of what I think about. It's about the process. Yeah, man. yeah it's about yeah. the it's about the journey. Yeah, and you know, I think I think a lot of us, even including myself, yeah, like I I always have a vision on where I want to take my companies, and yeah. sometimes I get fixated on that vision, and I don't enjoy the journey, and I have to bring myself back down to like. It's it's awesome opening up your third restaurant, yeah. even though you want to get to twenty. You yeah. know what I mean? And uh, you know sometimes you have to bring yourself back and just enjoy what you're going through in the moment. Have you gotten better at bringing yourself back? I have. I mean, it's you know it's a lifelong thing, right? Yeah. I've I've always I've always been a guy that has like a vision on where I want to go, and I and I'm just going to go through every wall that hits me. Um, but I, I, you know, with the help of my wife and people, they, they always bring me back to yeah. enjoy the moment, enjoy the time I have in my business right now, enjoy the time I have with my kids and my family. So what, what do you do differently or what, what do you start doing to help bring yourself back? You know, it's just you just got to, like, take a moment and breathe and, like, bring yourself back. I mean, you know, you'll, you'll find from my history, I, I like going 100 miles an hour. I like to grow. I seven get, locations. I, do, I'm in, a, I get a high off oh, no, 38 locations in seven years. Yeah. That's yeah. wild. We're yeah. talking about NAF, NAF. We're going to get into that. I'm really excited yeah, about sure. that. But do you literally, like, block time to breathe? Is this, are you, do you practice meditation or do you just kind of – you? Yeah, I, I just kind of just – you know, sometimes you just got to sit back when you're in your own head and just yeah. say, you know what? Enjoy this moment. Man. Yeah. It's you weird, know? and I agree 100% with you. We, we always compare ourselves to where we want to be. Yeah. And we, we never take a, a moment to stop and say, look where I am. Yeah. And look how far I've come. Yes. This is something that I struggle with sometimes too. Like I'm constantly looking to the future too, and I forget. Like I started with like a little microphone and like was like Skype calls, you know? Right. And like yeah. – you got to think about like how far have I come and take time to appreciate that. Cause what else, what else is it for? You know, it, you got it. Beautiful. You got it, so. so you said you found your passion yeah. in the restaurant industry. Specifically, what is it that you're passionate about? So, <laughs> you know what? It's everything. Um, you know, the, the great thing about our business, the restaurant business, and what I've just loved is all the people I've gotten to meet. You know, I've, I've had lunches with billionaires um, to getting to know my dishwasher, who's you know seventeen dollars an hour, and that full spectrum of different people, different educations, different you know they've come from different places. I have friends in Turkey, I have friends in India, I have friends all over the world, and I've met them all through the restaurant business. And that's what's like incredible about our business that gets me so excited is just a full spectrum of people that you have to deal with. Um, and it's, that's, you know, that gets me excited about the business. It's, uh, so what have it's you great. learned about people generally across the spectrum? That there's so many wonderful people out there. Um, you know, I've, you know, I, I have extremely wealthy people who have been so supportive of my ideas and my vision of the companies. Um, and I've met, I've, I've, I have countless stories of, of, of a guy who's starting with me at like $16, $17 an hour, working his way up, showing me he's got heart, getting into a general manager role, getting into a district manager role, and then one day running a city for me wow. and making like a life-changing like amount of money uh, for their family. You but know? isn't that like the most rewarding feel- feeling like that you can create, that you've, you've, you can influence somebody to make life decisions that are better for them. Yeah, it's incredible. Like how I mean, awesome is that to give somebody an opportunity? Awesome. It feels it's, great. It's the best. Yeah. I mean, that is like this is why I do what I do. Mm. You know, it's it's those stories of a guy who who started with me as a dishwasher now running a city. I mean, that makes me so proud of that individual on on how far they've come. And a lot, you know what? I think our industry so much of it gets sometimes negative press about, you know, $15 wages or you know, and things like that. Um, but it never tells those stories about people who maybe don't have an education, 
you know, their choices are somewhat limited, but they can come into the restaurant business, you know, earn a good income, build themselves up into having a great career inside yeah. of our industry. And there's very few industries in America that, that, that can do that. Yeah, come you know? in as a dishwasher, 15 bucks an hour, yeah. and become a multi-unit operator. Yes, you know? and have a life-changing career for their family. Exactly. You know? So yeah. it's, uh, that's awesome. It's, Beautiful. Yeah. Awesome stuff, man. Great way, uh, seriously, to get this thing started. But where does it make sense to share your story? Where, when did you know that restaurants was going to be your path? So I didn't. Okay. So I, like, kind of a late start, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, I, I think life's a journey, right? So yeah. you know, you're just kind of figuring it out as you go along. Um, you know, initially I wanted to be a professional baseball player. You okay. know, I, I, I played baseball in college. I, you know, I had, uh, uh, played for the Olympic festival team and, and I always thought I would be playing, you know, baseball and, and that just didn't happen, you know? Uh, and so then I had to go into a different career. I went into finance and, uh, built a financial business up, um, for about 10 years. And, um, you know, where I started getting into the restaurant business is I, my mother is French, and I, I grew up a lot in Paris, and I would eat shawarma and falafel and Lebanese food as I was growing up. And I was driving home one day from my office, and I saw this little hole-in-the-wall restaurant. Now, remember, this is like 12 years ago. No one knew what falafel and shawarma was or even hummus. Like it was hummus more was, than 12 years ago. I hate to let you know. Yeah, maybe it was, man. <laughs> Time goes by fast. Because you opened but, your first location in 2010, right? Yeah, 2000. It's about to be 2023, yeah, you're right, man. You're right. Jeez, time goes by. talking about 14 yeah, or 15 I know, right? Years right? Yeah. yeah, so. But, uh, you know, I was driving by and I saw this little hole-in-the-wall restaurant called Naf Naf Grill. And I saw the word shawarma. And I said, are you kidding me? Shawarma in Naperville, Illinois? I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I love and, and I just like yanked my car over i probably cut off someone you know and, and just pulled in and when i walked in i'm like are you kidding me shawarma in naperville and i went up to the owner uh who was sahar and and i said give me a shawarma sandwich and if this is good you and i are gonna talk <laughs> and i took one bite of it and i went right back to him i said that was one of the best shawamas i've ever had yeah i said and let's talk was he like white boy what do you know about shawarma? dude he was like who is this guy you know i come in a suit and he's yeah. like you know i don't know who this guy is yeah and he you know we end up building up a relationship and my business partner and i we you know make a long story short we we closed down that hole in the wall restaurant and we built them a beautiful restaurant in Naperville, Illinois. And, you know, what was amazing is we opened up that restaurant and it became an instant hit. Yeah. I mean, Give us a little context. Well, you keep on saying in Naperville. What is Naperville? Why is that a surprise? So Na- Naperville is just where NAF NAF originally started. The okay. original NAF NAF was in Naperville, Illinois, in a small little Taco Bell building. How, about, how far away is that from Chicago? So it's about 30 miles west of Chicago. Okay. So it's like a, a big suburb. It's, you know, 250,000 people. Uh, it's a major suburb of Chicago. And, um, yeah, they had their little hole-in-the-wall restaurant there. And when I say hole-in-the-wall, like the air conditioning didn't work. I mean, the place was falling apart. Oh, my goodness. So we had to get them out of there yeah. and put them into a professionally designed restaurant. I feel like we need to pay homage to what Sahar did. Is he still with us today? No, he passed away. Okay, I thought Unfortunately, so. I he passed sure away, yeah. Um, so we have to pay homage to him. We have to kind of share his legacy, right? Yeah. So what, what's his story? How did he get so here? Sahar is one of the most incredible people I've ever yeah. met in my life. Um, so he came from Israel. He came to New York. He became a taxi driver, uh, kind of did all that in, in New York. Um, when did he come to the States, you know? Uh, he, he was probably about 25 years ago, okay. something like that. Yeah. He came to the States. He worked at a kosher restaurant in New York. And then he came to Chicago and opened a kosher restaurant with his, um, with his cousin. The American dream. Yeah, huh? Taboon Grill, which is in uh, Skokie. And uh, he did that. And 
but he, he wanted to do shawarma and falafel for the masses. And so he always had this idea of opening up a, a shawarma and falafel shop, and which he did in, in Naperville, Illinois. And uh, again, that's where I met him. But like, what, the amazing thing with Sahar and what I've learned so much for him is the guy was overflowing with passion. Mm. I mean, the food, everything. He used to go and pick out his own cucumbers, his own tomatoes. You know, he wanted everything perfect. And he taught me that the food is the number one thing. Mm. You've got to have wonderful food and you've got to be passionate about yeah. it and what you're serving. What was he serving exactly at the time? Like, what, How big was the menu? So it was pretty similar to the original, like the Naf Naf now. Yeah. The only difference is we had kebabs. Okay. Um, so it was shawarma, falafel, kebabs. He was doing that pita that Naf Naf's known for, that fresh baked pita, yeah. um, which, which is game changing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the best pita in, in the world. And, you know, Sahar spent, I mean, he spent months developing that pita. I can't tell you how much dough we went through him developing that pita, but yeah. uh, that was uh, that was a game-changing type of bread for him. So uh, before we dive into the story of Naf Naf, I think we need to kind of backpedal just a little bit because you have this career in finance, right? Yeah. And I think it's really important. I think there's so many channels through which you can enter this industry. You don't need to be a chef. You don't need to be a GM. Starting as GM, to, if you can... You could be into design. You could be into. You could be a lawyer. I mean, there's so many yeah. things that this industry needs. That there's so much you can bring to the table to a partnership, right? Yeah. And for you, that was the money management, the finance. Is that safe to say? Yeah, yeah, it okay. was. I mean, yeah. So, what were you, like? When did you start your finance business? So I, I started that out of college. Okay. You know, we uh, had a partner. Um, you know, really my best friend, a guy I grew up with, and uh, we started a uh, financial management company. And you know, we we managed about 150 million dollars under. So, what exactly management. does a financial management do? I mean, it sounds we pretty we took on retirement assets and we we invested them into different investments okay. and uh, created income streams for you know a lot of retirees. So Got that's it. kind of what we specialized in. And, and, and then we opened our office in Naperville. So okay. I was literally, you know, a half a mile away from where Sahar opened up the original uh, first NAFNAF. Got it. I mean, how do you think that background s- s- serves you? I mean, I, so, it seems obvious, but give me some of the details as to what uniqueness that brings to a partnership to have yeah. a financial Well, first of all, it's, it's a finance, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you learn financial, you learn P&Ls, uh, yeah. you know, all the balance sheets, everything that you have to do to be able to run a business. Yeah. Um, but also it, it, it taught me how to, you know, raise money, which is huge if you're going to be growing a, a business. Why, how do you learn about raising money as a financial advisor? Well, because you're, you're having to bring in assets. Okay. So it's, it's being able to talk the game of investments because at the end of the day, you know, people are investing in a restaurant as an investor. Yeah. They, they want to be able to make some type of income or make some type of you know big profit at the end of it. Hopefully, yeah. if you sell it one day, but you weren't taking retirees' money. And no, saying, no, we in were, restaurants. No, like, no, no, no. Absolutely, you wouldn't not. have lasted that long. No, 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 no. no you definitely wouldn't do that. Yeah. And I'm sure the SEC would have an issue with that. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, uh, you know, with the first restaurant, my partner and I put in most of the money. Got it. Um, and then we raised some money from that restaurant from you know wealthy individuals who, and a lot of them are just customers coming yeah. in, and we're like, man, this is a great concept how do we get involved um you know when you when you have a great business a great concept money never becomes an issue money flows to it yeah, yeah. um so we, we never really had a you know issue raising money for naf naf at all got it you know people came um so anything worth diving into prior to that that's part of the story that we should know before really unpackaging how you helped uh sahar and naf naf scale 
So, uh, you know, Sahar had the passion for the food, and I helped bring the business side of it, yeah. um, the processes, the procedures, um, you know, getting everything that he wanted and, and making sure it's consistent across all of our companies. Okay. Uh, we, it was a great, I mean, it was a great marriage. Yeah. You know, he had the skill set that I didn't have, and I had a skill set he didn't have. And, and it, there were other two other partners that we also had, Elon, which was his partner, and then we had uh, Justin. Um, which was my partner. So the four of us, you know, built this company up and we all had different skill sets that really, you know, made NAF NAF successful. Yeah. And let's, let's go deeper. So yeah. you, you see that there's something here. You, you see this guy, uh, Zahar, he has the passion. He has the concept. What was he missing? Like, I think you kind of alluded to it a little bit like, but like, where was he, like, where was he weak? Where did you fill in? Yeah. Well, I had, I have to be honest here. Like, the, the reality of why I did the first NAF-NAF was just because I wanted to eat falafel and shawarma. <laughs> you know, that's it. I, I was afraid they were going to go out this of business. This is for me. <laughs> this is for me. I wanted to be able to open up a nice restaurant that he could have. My, my whole idea was just to have one restaurant. I wasn't thinking the restaurant business. Yeah. Like, I had a good career in finance, and I just wanted to be able to eat falafel and shawarma every day for lunch because yeah. I love that food. Yeah. I love Middle Eastern food. And so once we opened up uh, the Naperville location, our first location, it was an instant hit right away. So I said, oh, my gosh, maybe we have something here. Yeah. How long was he in business before they moved out of the Taco Bell? They were in business for probably about a year and a half. Okay. And, and I, met them, I met them about, I would say, about six to eight months into their business. Okay. Um, and we started building so up it that it wasn't like an immediate thing. Like, you weren't like, I ate your food, let me invest in you. Like, there was some time building a relationship yeah we build a relationship okay. i took him out for dinner you know and then then what was fun is you know i on my on nights i would go over there and just work in the kitchen understand the business you yeah. know understand what he's doing um and then you know our we just became a great friends i mean he's one of my best friends in life so so was he super receptive of the idea of having a partner or did it take some convincing no he was he was receptive he 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 knew he was waiting for someone like me. You okay. know, he always kind of says that I need a partner like David, and yeah. and I needed a partner like him. I mean, yeah. he, he showed me my passion. Yeah. You know, and so it was again, it was just a great marriage, a great friendship, and uh, we did wonderful things together. You yeah. Know? So, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned in your owning your first restaurant? You have four partners. Oh. Um, well, before we get into that, like before, because you guys had to come to terms, right? You had to come to an agreement of what this partnership's going to look like. What advice do you have for us for setting up those partnership agreements? You know, taking care of everybody. Partnerships like a marriage. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, you just got to like working with everybody that's involved. Yeah. And you know what was great is you know Justin, Elon, Sahar, myself, we were best friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, we literally loved to just hang out with each other. We would just laugh and have fun, and and you know, Naf Naf was never like it never felt like a job or a partner it just felt like four guys who were friends building something wonderful together and and because there's so much you know there's so much stress in restaurants and so much that you have to do um if you if you don't take it that way it's just going to tear you apart yeah and it's it's that's where like it's it's that um what's the word i'm looking for it's that um it's that good good you know that that it's we're just here to do what we love we have no expectation to scale this thing, but we just want to do what we love, right? And yes. when that happens, there's just magic that seems to grow from that, that, it, that no yeah. expectation but to do the thing. And yes. when that happens, when all the focus goes into the thing that we love to make this one thing that we love better than any other thing, like you said, the money just kind of flows in from there, right? It's passion, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When, you, when you bring that passion in and, you, you know, 
the funny thing about being an entrepreneur or being business is that it, it, you almost have to be a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm. You almost have to be like, I don't care what hits me. I'm just going to keep going through it. And I think every entrepreneur has that deep inside of them. They have this tenacity that they're just not going to quit. Yeah. And, you know, I, I look at, I mean, I'm proud of the restaurant business, especially, you know, in Illinois, that was a pretty restrictive stri- uh, state during COVID. I mean, you look at, there's still restaurants around. Um, and we kept, you know, we kept going through that, even though we couldn't have people in our dining rooms or you had to wear a mask. I mean, that was kind of like the worst thing to ever hit our industry. And businesses made it through it. Yeah. And that just kind of shows you. Yeah. So going back to like you're opening your first restaurant, you have zero restaurant experience. Um, you do have money. And it's weird talking about money, but this is a restaurant business sure. podcast. And money is a big part of it. You need capital. You brought the capital from the success you had in the world of finance. But you also raised money. Were you, we just, were you just fronting the cash? Or were you like, let's do this together. I can help you find the money. Or were, were you the money? No, I, I wouldn't say I was the money. Okay. I, I would say we, we supplied some of the money to start the first concept. Got it. And then once we had kind of the, the first store, the first concept, something that people could come in and see what our vision of, of NAFNAF was, yeah. um, that's when we started raising more and more capital. I mean, restaurants are capital intensive. You know, so, every- so you got into the second location, yes. which, which is technically the first location of you four working together, right? Yeah. Um, how was that different from the original NAFNAF? Um, the so the second location was the same as just we had an investor pool. Okay. So we we actually opened the second location up near uh, Aurora, Illinois, which was literally about like you know seven eight miles away from the original NAFNAF. Yeah. Okay. So the original NAFNAF. So I want to make sure I understand. You you discovered NAFNAF. Yeah. When you got involved, that that location was still there, or did you? close that and open a new one yeah so maybe i didn't uh, uh you know yeah. make that clear so we the original NAFNAF was yeah. like a hole in the wall restaurant yeah. we had to get out of there it was Got just it. falling apart no i mean literally what was crazy about it, i'll tell you a funny little story we had no air conditioning oh, so in the summer it was like 95 degrees <laughs> in our dining room and it was packed oh, and i crazy. remember looking at sahara i'm like that's what, you what, know what is what are people eating in here for like yeah. this is a horrible eating environment yeah. so we had to get out of there yeah. so yeah so we it took us about you know six seven months to do the lease to do the build out to get them into their new space so we closed the original NAFNAF, moved them about a half a mile north into a new development professionally designed and then from there, we then opened up our second location in Aurora, Illinois, which is about seven, eight miles away. And how long was that after the, the relocation of the, NAF, the first NAF? That was, about, uh, that was about one year. Okay, got it. It's so like 2011? Yeah. All right. So what, reflecting back, knowing what you know now about the restaurant industry, you know, 13 years into being in, into operations and, and growing restaurants and scaling brands, Reflecting back on that version of yourself, the night, I don't want to say naive, but let's call it naive. You know, like you didn't know, you don't know what you know now then, right? Uh, yeah. So what do you know now that you wish you knew then the first couple of like months and years? <laughs> that's, that's funny. I mean, everything, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're building a restaurant brand as fast as we did, I mean, we built, you know, roughly 40 restaurants in seven years. That's wild. It, it was a, it was like a roller coaster ride. You know, we were just, I was in a different city every, almost every week. Didn't know even what city I was in. You know, we were just building and building and building. Um, and you know, honestly, it's just like you, you just, everything that you do, 
was kind of reaching in the dark, trying to learn, trying to how to do that. You know, is this the right real estate? You didn't know because you yeah. didn't have any experience. You don't know it. what you don't know. So, yeah. So, I mean, the reality is the, the, the wealth of experience I got from building a national brand yeah. was, was amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's priceless. I mean, you can't learn this at Harvard, you yeah. know. And so, um, you know, I, I look at it back then. The reality is I didn't know anything. And it was a lot of reaching in the dark, a lot of frustrations, a lot of time spent just not knowing the right people to go to, the right processes to put in. And you just had to kind of pound through that. So, so do you, is there anything that comes to mind like that you wish you had done differently or mistakes you made that you can help some of our listeners avoid making? So if you're building a chain, yeah. the, the reality of it, I always think it comes down to real estate. Okay. Like real estate will make or break you. You know, you got to get into the right real estate, the right you know location. I mean, at the end of the day, it's location, location, location. Was it the, the second? Well, technically, the f- the the first new approach location in 2010 um, was was that location an issue? No, I mean okay. we we had a pretty good run okay. with location, and and the reality is like I knew the Chicago market, so in terms of locations, it wasn't really so much in Chicago. But when you start getting outside of your home market. You know, you don't know the market. You know, you're depending on people to tell you the right, you know, this is the right area to be into. And, and, you know, what's crazy about location is you can be on one side of the street and it will give you an extra $500,000 in revenue and versus the other side of the street, which you're going to lose that. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, little details that you have to know about real estate. But that becomes like the hardest part of this game when you're growing a chain because also, Great real estate is also hard to find. And if you're really focusing on growing, growing, and growing, you play almost this mind game with yourself where you're, you're, you're justifying maybe a B location, you know, and you have to be careful of that. Yeah. So where were Sahars and uh, Elon or Elon? Elon. Elon. Where were their systems? I'm sorry? And where were their systems and process? Like, did they have that stuff locked in? No, they, they didn't. Okay. They, they didn't have it. I mean, they, you know, they were running, it's kind of like a mom and pa type restaurant. If they weren't there, the restaurant didn't go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, but that was part of their passion too, right? They yeah. love to be there. Uh, but we knew that if we were going to grow this thing, it had to become all about processes. So where did you know? Was that something that you just kind of inherently knew or is that something you had to learn? No. So I had a, uh, so actually my brother, uh, who's a partner in Venture Kitchen, um, he was graduating from Vanderbilt Law School. And I went up to him. I said, listen, Frank, you don't want to be a lawyer. I said, come help me with NAFNAF and, uh, you know, build this thing out. But the family me. loved you after you pulled him off of his lobby. Yeah, I know you just spent a ton of money at Vanderbilt, <laughs> but we're going to. What are you doing, yeah. David? <laughs> yeah, right. So, so he, he actually came in as our COO okay. at NAFNAF when we, were three, when we were three stores. And the reality is, like, we couldn't have built what we built without him. Yeah. You know, he, he, he was, he's much more process and process and procedure orientated than I am. Yeah. Um, he came out with all those, those systems in yeah. place. Um, you know, he has that lawyer kind of mindset and he's able to do all that really yeah. well. Yeah. So, so you reminded me, uh, there's a book that I have not read yet. It's, are you familiar with Gina Wickman traction? Uh, his I, series of books. I'm not. No. So within that book, he developed the EOS, the operating, the entrepreneurial operating system. Uh, and w- another book he wrote is called Rocket Fuel. And it's all about this subject that you, if you're a visionary, if you're a dreamer, or even if you're a technician and you love doing a thing, you need an implementer. You need somebody who's going to take all of your ideas and then 
implement the process to make it happen. If, so the, if you want to scale, if you want to grow, you need that operations system-minded person to build the framing, to build the process. And that's the rocket fuel. That's the stuff that will take you to the next level as having that person. So how did you know that you were good? It's cool that it was, this was an intuitive, intuitive thing for you to know that you needed that person to go to the next level. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. I mean, you definitely have to have that person. Yeah. And, and Frank was that for me. And, you know, I, I've always been more of the visionary, the big idea guy. Yeah. Um, I knew that about myself, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, bringing Frank on was that right piece of the puzzle that we needed right at that right time. I mean, and, and you look at what he did. I mean, he, he's, we started with a company with, like, you know, three, 30 employees he came in. He put all the processes in. And we had some great, great processes, procedures, training that he developed. And we were able to push that all the way through, you know, about 500 employees. Do you recall where he went to learn these things? Like, did, did he share the resources with you? No, you know. The sources, I should say. <laughs> to be honest, it was just us kind of thinking about ourselves and yeah. what we needed for our business. You know, what were the pain points in our business and how are we going to correct that to make sure that, you know, the, the Schwamm is being built the right way across 20 locations. Got it. You know, it's getting cut the right way. The pita is getting cut. I mean, when you look at NAFNAF, it's a, it's a difficult concept. You're baking fresh bread. Yeah. And so we had to put in a process where that bread came out the same across 20 locations, across different states. So Which we, is hard because the environment's not the same across. You got it. You know, when you're, especially I'm not a master baker by any means, but I do dabble in the world of baking and like humidity, temperature, you know, all these things yeah. play a role in you know, that's one of the reasons why Arizona is such a great place to make pizza. Nobody would have thought because it's dry and the temperature is consistent. So there's not a lot of variation in day to day weather. Right. Yeah, so 100%. these are things like how do you combat things like that? Like where like the area is inconsistent. Like what, what kind of systems do you build to make something as complex as baking where there's so many variables consistent? Yeah, so I mean that's something that's hard did. You know, okay. every time he traveled to a new city where you were up in Minneapolis or Philly or whatever city we were in, he would always make the first couple batches of pita. Yeah. And then he would adjust the water based on that issue. And and, and it's not only it's not only the city or the location you're in, it's it's the difference between summer and winter. So Zahar you know? is the technician. Yes. So uh, yes. you're the visionary, Zahar is the technician. And then you, your uh, business partner, was it Justin or the brother, the lawyer? Uh, Frank. Frank. He was the implementer, a.k.a. Uh, I guess you'd call him like the, the manager. Uh, the operation guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you need all these roles. You need these you lanes. Um, when did you know it was time to go from... Actually, one more question before we get into location number two and then how you scale from there. Uh, how did Sahara handle sharing like... I don't know. Like, how did he, was there, did ego ever become an issue? You know, this is his baby. This is, he, he birthed this thing. He brought this thing into the world. These other guys come in. They, they, did he ever get like, was there ever like tension between like who steers the ship? No, no. There was, I mean, the, the reality of it, we were such great, great friends. Yeah. You know, and when you're, you're building a business with great friends, egos go away. Mm-hmm. You're not like, there wasn't a thing about, you know, David's getting credit or Sahar's getting credit or Justin or Elon. I mean, it was just about the, you know, what's going on with NAFNAF and are we getting to where we wanted to go? So how did you get to the point where you're all pulling in the same direction? Yeah. You know what? It was just about a lot of talking, making sure we're all aligned on what we're doing. We all made decisions, major decisions together. Yeah. Um, I remember when we did the deal with Rourke, you know, it was a, we were all just sitting outside of a restaurant saying, guys, is this all what we want to do? And uh, we all agreed to it, and we moved forward with it. So, yeah. 
So I mean, I think I personally think the vision, the visioning process. There is a visionary, right? Uh, but the visioning process, I think, should be a collective process, especially if you want the people that you're going into this partnership with to buy in, right? Because they have to feel like it's part of their vision too. And I think when you when you bring something into the world together, there's that sense of we all own this. Then people are much longer, much more likely to go the distance with you. What are your thoughts as I'm saying this? No, that's 100. percent Yeah, I mean, you you have to be aligned in your your vision. If you're not, you, you're gonna get some conflict. Yep. You know, so we we all had the same vision. We wanted to build NAFNAF into a national chain. Got that's it. what we were doing. Yeah. So when did you know you were ready for a second location? Uh, I don't think you ever know you're ready. Yeah. You know, I mean, you just gotta you just gotta do it. Yeah. And and you know, I think. I guess the reality, when I look back at it, it was when I saw the volume, the excitement from our customers about NAFNAF, I'm like, okay, we got something here. Yeah. And so then, you know, we opened up number two. Where, where, how far is Aurora from uh, the original location? It's, it's about by about eight miles. Why? So. Do, you don't think that's too close? Uh, you know, at the time, we were just like, you know, it's a great market. It's, it felt like a different market over yeah. there. And so we, we did it. I know? don't think and it's too close for the No, and, it, and yeah. it honestly, it did great, too. Yeah. So I think it, people will worry about cannibalizing their own business, but I like the idea of centrific circles, of slow, steady, outward growth, yeah. because you want to build that fan base. You want to go deeper in one community and get, get that, you know. What, what's going through your mind? You're shaking your head. I don't want to put words into your mouth. No, no, I, I'm agreeing with you. Like, I, I, I think, you know, going into you got to start with the core market like yeah. Naperville and then going into, and the reality is like eight mile. And like, if you go to that market in Aurora, it feels like a completely different yeah. market. There aren't people traveling there all the way to Naperville yeah. to, to eat. So it's a different market. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so any challenges with the second location that's worth bringing? To? Uh, no, no. You know what? It became about processes. You know, yeah. you, 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 you quickly realize that when you get divided out, you know, you have to spend half your time at each location yeah. and it becomes all about processes, processes, yeah. processes. So, so. so is this when new processes really started to take form? What new processes? Yeah, do you well, need? so we, you know, I started working on the processes and then when we got into our third location, which was on the north uh, side of Chicago, um, that's when you start to feel that little bit of stretch of growing pains. Yeah. And you're like, okay, we need to get someone in here who can really tighten up these processes. And that's, again, that's when we, you know, we brought Frank okay, on Okay, so that's when you brought yeah, Frank Yeah, number third, the third location. Cool. And when was number three? Uh, number three was right after we did number two. So it was a couple months after oh, we wow. did. Yeah. So at this so point, we, you're like, let's go. We were going. Yeah. Yeah, we, we knew we had something, so we were going. Uh, and you uh, by 2017, so seven years into this, you're at 38 locations. Yeah. So kind of getting at 30,000 feet, going to like, you know, bird's eye view, big level, like thinking, what were like the different evolutions for you? The major changes you made in that business to go from one place, that, like, you know what I'm saying? Like the gears yeah. that had a shift. So I, I think there was a shift like, you know, we, we built in Chicago. I think we got up to about 11 or 12 locations in Chicago yeah. when we made our first jump into a new city, and we went to Minneapolis. But even getting to 11 locations, I'm sure you had to go through a lot of transformation. Yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, you know, it's all about, again, we were building up the processes and the procedures and the training and all the systems to be able to grow from, you know, two locations to up to 11 locations. Yeah. So, you know, and that's why I would stress the most is like, you got to just have that super tight. Yeah. You know, your processes, your procedures, your, your accounting, all that back end of the business has to be really tightened up at that point if you're going to run that many locations. Um, and, and so we focused on that. 
you know, uh, Frank was, I mean, that's all he was doing was just focusing on that stuff. So, so at what point did you transition out of the day-to-day? Were you still running your finance business? No, I, so when we got into number, uh, I think, the third location, I just kind of let my partner in. handle that, yeah. and then I went into the restaurant business full-time. Got it. And uh, Were you, you know, still working in the restaurant? At this point, are you working on the restaurant? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. I, you know, I've always been one of these founders that I like to spend time in the kitchen. Got it. I think it teaches you so, something, you know, uh, and I know, I know the guys, you know, they're like, oh man, get out of the kitchen. You're messing things up. <laughs> You're slowing but us down. I, I like to be in there. I like to kind of see what are the pain points. I like to see how the food's coming out. I think you learn a lot when you're in the kitchen. So, so like reflecting over this time and this, 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 this interview is really about the, the journey of the restaurant tour, the evolution of the restaurant tour. What were your personal evolutions and things that you figured out like that like really helped you like again shift those gears? So first gears seeing the opportunity, buying the new location, scaling to the second location. Third second gear is bringing on the operations person, right? Yep. What was third gear? Uh, you know, third gear when you're building that many restaurants, it's about building a team and it's about mm. building a culture. Mm. You know, and and that's I, I I pride ourselves on what a great job we did with that at NAFNAF. We spent a lot of energy on building this NAF love, uh, making sure that people were getting recruited from within so that you could start as a dishwasher and then build yourself a career into a general manager or district manager. And we had countless stories of that at NAFNAF. And it builds this culture where everybody gets excited. They have love for the concept. Um, you know, we invested in people who showed us that and, uh, you know, really just built a whole company of people who were excited about the the brand and there was a lot to be excited about i mean you know when you're building 38 restaurants in seven years there's a lot of excitement in that company what it can be so when you build from within why does that create love for the brand what's going on there where that love develops because i think you're you're able to see people who have passion and love for what you're doing you know i think it's very simple to see a an employee who who really enjoys what they do. They have love. They, you can tell they care about the business versus an employee who doesn't. Mm. And the employee who shows you that, you want to invest into them right away. Yeah. You want to keep those people. Yeah. And, and so we built a whole team of people who, who really had that love for what we were trying to accomplish at NAFNAF. And I, I still do that in my business today. Were you, at what point were you shifting from creating opportunity from within to pulling people out to like, cause I, I'd imagine scaling from one location to 38 locations in seven years, you couldn't create all those opportunities from within, right? No, you can't. So how do you find that balance of like not growing too fast so you can, you know, so you don't get over your skis, right? And you don't have the people to fill those roles. Like what did that look like for you? Yeah, I I think, you know, again, you weren't able to do everybody from within because we were just growing so fast. Plus we were going into new markets Mm -hmm. that we weren't there. But I think during the interview process and when you're bringing someone on board, you really have to stress. I mean, when, when, you're, when you have a, a culture, you have to be emphatic about it. And, and you, know, you might be at 120%, but the next person down might be at 95% of that, that culture. And so you just have to keep fighting for it and keep really pushing into your people so that they keep that culture alive even if you're not there in that city. So how do you, how do you do that? Like easier said than it, done, it, right? Like, it, but it's a, it's a battle. Like yeah. you you just have to like every time you're there, you have to live it. You have to live that culture. You have to uh, fight for it every single time. You know you're with your people and make sure that they understand that it's like massively important to the business. And it, it's it, it never stops. 
Like people think you can build a culture and then you can just let it ride. It never stops. You have to just pound and pound and pound and pound on it. Do you build systems around this repetition of pounding or is it just knowing in the back of your mind? Like what is that? Like what does that actually look like? Are, are you just but constantly echoing values? I, I, yes. Everything you do has to be around that central focus of what the passion is. You know, I mean, our, our, our passion, our culture was about showing the love, providing unbelievable food. And we, everything we did from our processes, our procedures, to the way we rewarded our employees was all based on that. How did you reward your employees? Uh, through bonuses, um, you know, through, uh, you know, giving them opportunities for growth. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a lot. A lot of people want, like, growth inside of, you know, when they're working for a company. Yeah. And so you, you showed us the love. You showed us the passion. You showed us that you were making wonderful food. We're going to keep growing with you. Yeah. We're going to keep giving you opportunities. Yes. And, you know, I think that just starts building a culture in itself. When you see a guy that you used to work, uh, work next to and all of a sudden they're running an entire district, you know, you're saying, hey, I can do that too. Yeah. You know, and it just starts building this culture that, uh, that you need if you're going to be growing, you know, 38 restaurants in seven years. Yeah. So during this journey, um, you, so we talked about systems. We talked about culture. Was there another shift for you? Was there a point where when you get to like beyond 11, 12 locations, I think your, your organization goes through another evolution, Massive. right? So what was that next evolution? So, it, it was the, so the evolution was like building up an entire team to support that growth. Yeah. You know, we, I mean, I remember when we, we built the NAFNAF headquarters in River North uh, Chicago, which is a neighborhood of Chicago. And, you know, next thing you know, we had an accounting team. We had a real estate team. We had an HR team. You know, all that team to be able to support the growth as when you go. So that became another level. Um, and you, you became, you know, it didn't become about you being in the restaurant anymore. It became about you managing an organization, yeah. making sure the entire organization is going towards that same vision that you have. So you started building these, these departments at store number three. No, we, no, we were building those departments really when we became about store 11 and 12, okay. when we took our first private equity tranche from uh, Roar Cap. Well, that was my next question because I think a lot, what people don't realize when they, they think about scaling, like all we need to do, we're making money, all we need to do is buy more physical space. But they forget that you, to manage all that, you need a whole next level, the C-suite, right? The executives, yeah. the different departments. And like that's like a, those are big paychecks. It's a big man. spend, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a like, big spend. Yeah. You're, you're, you're paying like 100000 here, 100000 there annually. Yeah. Like Before you know it, you're, you're, you're keeping you're increasing your operational expense, your labor expense, but by, by like half a million or maybe a million a year. Yeah. So, and I don't think people realize, but you want to build that first. Yes. Because you need those, those positions, right? You need yes. those people so you can grow. So, is that when you're like, we need to go get more money? We need to go find. find yeah, somebody. I mean, we we got to a point where you know, I mean, we had eleven stores. We knew we had something with NAFNAF, and we had to. We knew we wanted to go into other markets. And if you're going to go into another market, you have to build a whole support structure. It's not only the, the corporate staff that you need, yeah. but it's also the operation staff that you have to have to support in that market. So we knew that was going to be expensive. And so you know, we, we went out. We were talking to a lot of private equity groups. We were talking to a lot of um, uh, other restaurant groups. And we just uh, felt like we had a good relationship with Rora Capital. And they, they came in, they put uh, capital into the business, which then provided us the ability to go into these brand new markets and expand uh, NAFNAF's footprint outside of Chicago. So 
we don't often talk about this point where you know you already have four partners. That's hard enough, yep. right? Bringing on an outside partner, an investor. Um, what are some of the challenges with that? And I know you guys had like there was a dialogue between the four of you. Like, is this what we want to do? Yeah. Like, t- talk talk us through that point of it, growth because that's a tough one. It is. It, it is, and it, it's it's a massive decision for a business, yeah. right? Because when the minute you bring in private equity, it becomes kind of a different business. You know, in it, what ways does it become different? Well, it, it, you know, when when you're you're dealing with a a group of um, investors that are investing into your business. A lot of it is friends and family or people that you know. There's there's a different, um, I guess... Energy between energy the, trans- the between, transfer. Yeah. Or the, 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 what's the word? Transaction. There's transaction, right? Yeah. You know, and, and but once you take in institutional money, it becomes a little bit more... Um, what's the word I'm looking Rigid? for? Rigid. Rigid, yeah. yeah. I guess that would be the best word. Like, this is you the know, deal. <laughs> yeah, this is the deal. This is what we need to yeah. have you do. This is, you know, that. So, and we accepted that. Yeah. You know, we knew that was part of the, the game that we, once we brought in Rorick, we have to grow these businesses. And, and nothing, they were very supportive and they helped us, like, build into these other cities. But it did become different. You know, we, we had our board meetings every quarter. You know, we had a provide financial statements out to everybody you know it just it became a little bit more professional a little bit more corporate uh you know and and that was a good thing for the business i'm not saying that was a bad thing that was a good transition for the business to get where we were going where we were going to be having a company that was going to be 38 locations what was it about was it Rourke? am i saying that correctly yes what was it about this organization that you and your partners liked so, uh, number one, they were just the biggest. Yeah. I mean, they own, I don't even know how many restaurants they own right now, 25,000. Yeah. You know, they, they own massive brands. And so, and we had just a good relationship with the people that were involved. So, you know, it's, uh, again, you have to be careful of who you, you know, partner with. Yeah. But at that time, we felt like it was a good partner for us to, and they shared the vision of what we wanted to do with NAFNAF. What do good terms look like? Like, what does that, like, what, how do we know a good deal when we see one? You know, (laughs) there's a lot to do with the deal, right? Um, And, you know, I think that's a tough question because there's just so many different elements of a deal of what you're trying to do as like an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, if there's going to be a cash out or or what type of stipulations are putting. I mean, there's so much that goes on into one of these deals. But you guys had a lawyer baked in already with your operations manager. Oh, but this was well beyond. I mean, this was yeah. a, this was a big, you know, big transaction, a big different deal. Yeah. Um, and, and luckily we had investors who were in that world. Yeah. Um, so they understood that, you know, and helped us through that process. I think this is where it becomes really great to be super intentional with the people you partner with. Are they just money or do they bring something else to the table? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, again, I, I keep saying that if you have a great concept, money's going to flow to mm-hmm. it. It becomes then who's the people around you that are going to help you as you get into a new level with your business. So you, you get to that point around 11 locations that you, you go seek outside uh, help investors. They're also, they're also helping steer the ship a little bit at this point, right? Correct. You have yeah, to give up are. some kind of control of like decision making. Yeah, absolutely. So what was that as the visionary? What was that like for you? So, I mean, it was a little, you know, <laughs> it was positive and it was negative all at the same time. What was time. the positive? The positive was that you, you were able to rely on some people that they brought in their expertise on how to do it. Go further I, together. Yeah. And, and I think if I look back at it, I think probably the, what the negative was, was that, you know, they were used to running a massive company, you know, massive companies. And sometimes we would get 
things that they wanted. And I'm like, listen, we only got two people in the finance department. Um, that's going to take them all month to do. You know what I mean? And we still have to run a business. So there's a little there's a pull and tug, uh, you know, anytime you get into a new relationship. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and it, we're going to get to the, where you are today, believe sure. me. But I feel like there's just so much we can learn from your journey with NAPNAP that we got to unpackage it. Um, so at what point were you like starting to feel like this isn't for me? Uh, you know, I, I think when you, you have to understand what my passion is. Like I love to create concepts yeah. and, and I love to bring new foods to people that they've never experienced. I mean, that was my whole thing about NAF NAF. Yeah. No one knew what shawarma and falafel yeah. was. And I, this is 2010. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. I used to love when I, w- I used to be in the restaurant, someone would come up and totally mispronounce shawarma or falafel. I'm like, man, that's a customer we're going to have now. That's a yeah. brand new customer. <laughs> I love it. Um, but like, you know, the reality is, um, you know, we—I forgot where I was going with that. What uh, what was the question? The question was, when did you know um, that you had enough? Oh, I you know I, I think once you start getting into a lot of different uh, uh, markets, it becomes very corporate. Yeah, and the it becomes more about cookie cutter. Like you're you're pushing these restaurants out; they're all kind of the same. A lot of the the uh, creating checklists. the you know the the you can't you really do anything with the design. Yeah. The food had to kind of stay the it's same. Set. It has to be. Yeah, you have to be set. I, I think at that point I kind of knew. Yeah, like, just like oh, there's a checklist. Sorry, did I cut you short? No, go ahead. Just like there's a checklist for opening a restaurant and closing a restaurant. There's a checklist for opening a op- like literally opening a restaurant, like yes. a new location, and then you, it becomes checklist following. Yes, and you, you can't change it. And if you like chaos, if you're a visionary, odds are you thrive in chaos. Yes, you like the unknown. You like throwing yourself into situations where you have no idea what's happening. Yes, but you're learning and you're growing. You're curious. That's not fun. I'm one of those people. I, I would hate the idea of my life would be a checklist every day. You yes. Know? And, it, and it becomes that. And yeah. it has to become yeah. that. I mean, the business has to become that. You need it. So, But my passion is creating. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love what we're doing right now where we're creating these brands. We're bringing new foods to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that, gets, that gets me excited every single day. So you depart in 2017. Yes. Um, I'm... I'm sure that there are some lessons there as, as far as how to exit a company, a company that we should probably discuss. If you do have success, how, what, what is your advice for exiting a company? I, you know, I, I just think try to do it on your terms. Yeah. You know, and, and I think at the end of the day, when, when you do exit a company, you know, it, it, it was an adjustment. I was yeah. so used to going 100 miles an hour. I mean, when you're building 38 restaurants, that's the speed you got to go in seven years. And then all of a sudden when you exit, I think the, the biggest trouble I had is when I exited, I went from a hundred miles an hour down to like 10 miles an hour. (laughs) And and that was just like, it was a shock to my system. You know, I was used to traveling all over the place. Now here I am. What's the next stage of my life? What do I do? So, so when I keep on, I'm not sure if I'm, is it Roar? I I should probably know the name of this company, but Uh, Roar. Thank you very much. Um, I'm sure when you made the deal with them, there was probably, the terms of for an exit strategy, like what happens if somebody wants out, right? That was probably negotiated at that point, I would assume. Yeah. So what do we need to know about creating an exit strategy for ourselves? I don't think that's, the, I think that's a big area that we're, we could be a lot better about is like most restaurateurs, their exit strategy is dying, right? Yeah. <laughs> they don't think about what happens if I don't, if I want to walk away from this, like what's the plan? So yeah. what, what advice do you have? I, I think, you know, again, you're looking at that deal. You, you got to take a, you got to have at some point, there's going to be probably an exit for you. Yeah. And, you know, I, with every entrepreneur, it's like, yeah, I'm going to run this until I, I, I die, right? Yeah. And, 
but the, the reality of it, that's not what happens. Mm-hmm. So I think you, you know, if you're going to do a deal, you got to make sure that there's a clear exit strategy for you at some point. Yeah. Because again, you're, you're going to probably get to some stage where most entrepreneurs are creators. That's what their passion is. And you might get to a point, like kind of I got to, where it became very cookie cutter. Yeah. And that, that creation that you love, and I know it was the same for Sahar, kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're kind of sitting there like, is this really what I want to do? Yeah. You know, I'm a creator. That's, what I, that's my passion. And so you just have to be aware of that. You know? So um, did you all four par- original partners leave at the same time? Yeah, per, I mean, no. So uh, Justin was the first one to leave. Okay. I then left, and then uh, Sahar uh, stayed on until his passing, and Alan is still there. Okay. So we all, I mean, we all had different like things that really drove us. Um, you know, uh, so I mean, unfortunately, probably Sahar would still be there if he hadn't passed away. Yeah. You know, he he enjoyed Nafnaf. He enjoyed Shwama and Flaffo. I mean, that was his. At the end of the day. Nafnaf was really his vision. Yeah. You know, so. uh, any other lessons from this experience that haven't come out yet? Things that you, you, you can pay forward to our listeners before we move on to the next stage yeah. in your life? You know, I, I think the biggest, like, the biggest lesson is just if you're going to grow a brand that quickly, just like enjoy the process. You know, sometimes I look back at it and, I, and I, we were growing so fast that I forgot how much fun it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I look back at those years, even though they were crazy years where I'm traveling all over the country, building these restaurants, dealing with issues every single day. You know, and sometimes you're, at the end of the day, you sit back and you're like, man, this day just sucked, you know, and, and all these challenges. But I, I, I look on those years as, as so favorable. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Well, exiting, I would imagine exiting this, this organization probably created, do you still have any equity in that business? Mm-hmm. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Do. So yeah. you're still earning money from that, that work. Yeah. Was there not money, but we, I have shares in the, okay. NAF, NAF, yeah. was like, but I'm, I'm sure that leaving that, I'm sure just being a part of the organization also helped you make money to invest in other projects in the future, kind of helping you do what you do today. Yes. Um, so, like, how did that set you up for success for what your new project was going to be? Well, you know, it's funny. When I, when I exited NAFNAF, I'm, it was, like, at a point of self-reflection. It's like, what do I do now? Like yeah. I said, you're going 100 miles an hour. Now you're 10 miles an hour. You got tons and, of security and, 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 financially, yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, right? and, and I'm, I'm in a position where it's just like, what do I do with my life at yeah. this point? And I looked at myself and I said, I have an unbelievable breadth of knowledge of growing a national chain. Mm. So, and, and I, and I said, I need to stay in the restaurant business and create new brands. Mm. And, you know, when I look at the restaurant business, what, what you see in our business is that you have these concepts that might be one or two locations and they, they have something special, but it takes a completely different skill set. go from one or two locations to like 12 locations where private equity is going to get interested in, in the brand. And if you want to build it to a national level, it takes another set of skill sets. Okay. So we have those skill sets. We went through all that. We know where the landmines are. So what we're trying to do with Venture Kitchen is not only create our own concepts, but bring in concepts where we can take them from the two to the 12 locations where private equity is going to get interested if people want an exit or continue to grow it. Got it. Now is a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to kind of unpackage these skill sets and how to go from two to 12. Uh, we already unpack- unpackaged a lot of it. Maybe there's some more we can get out of you. Uh, we'll be right back. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. 
Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We are back. So you kind of just kind of you set us up. You said you you discovered that you have this whole new set of skills. Uh, you can identify that going from 2 to 12 is, isn't easy, right? But that's what you just spent the majority of your career in restaurants doing. And now you can go out there and find – you can create your own concepts and do that. And you can find concepts that have the – have legs, right? Have the ability to go and scale, but they just don't know that they're missing that skill set. So that's kind of where your head is right now. So real quick, as of today, how many concepts have you created and how many that you're currently running and how many of them are uh, partners that you're bringing in? Yeah. So we, well, I'll go through the story about your kitchen. So we, we, uh, when I got done with NAF, NAF, you know, my brother and I, we were like, man, we love Mexican food. We want to do something with Mexican food. So we, you know, we traveled to L.A., San Diego. We went to all the Tijuana-style taquerias there. We went to Mexico, you know, traveled through Mexico, tried all this. Sounds wonderful- horrible. Oh, it was it was an amazing <laughs> experience. It was an amazing experience. And, and we met this uh, unbelievable chef down in Mexico. He's a good friend of mine now today. And it was a funny story because we went to his restaurant. He had a mole. And I, I took a, a taste of the mole. I'm like, this is the best mole I've ever had in my life. Yeah. So I, I forgot where I was. I mean, I literally just got up out of the table. I walked into the kitchen, That's you know, not even it. thinking, right? <laughs> and I go, who made this mole? And the guy like raised his hand and I went over to him and I just like gave him a kiss. You know, I'm just like, that was the best mole I ever had. I said, in two weeks, I want you in Chicago cooking with me. And in two weeks, I flew him up and we were cooking and making, you know, beautiful Mexican food together. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. So it was, you know, so we created Invicto and, and you know, that was our first brand that we had into our group. And how long ago was this after you departed? So we probably opened Invicto about, I would say, uh, about a year after okay. So yeah, sometime to yeah. like... Enjoy all of your hard work, right? Well, not really. I mean, I'm one of these guys I can't sit around. Yeah, I hear that. So we were, you know, we were working on the concept yeah. almost from day one. Awesome. You know, and so we built, uh, we, we did the concept, we did the design, 
and uh, we opened up the first uh, NAFNAT, or I'm sorry, Invicto. the first Invicto across from the very first NAFNAF. Oh, that's cool. It's literally, I look out the window and I see our very first NAFNAF. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. so any new sets of challenges in 2018 trying to scale Invicto? And how many locations is, is Invicto up to now? So we have two locations with Invicto. We got kind of delayed because of the pandemic. Yeah. But we're building one right uh, building our third location right now in Oak Brook. And we have probably about three more coming. Uh, that we you know opening over the next like sixteen to eighteen months. Beautiful. Um, you also open in, in two thousand eighteen. One or you start the organization. One feeds two. Yeah. So that is our charity. Okay. So you know I've I've always wanted to do good yeah. in our business. I think if, if businesses really just took that as a priority, that it would be wonderful. We could solve a lot of problems. So one of the things I wanted to do was solve childhood hunger. Mm. And, you know, I, I can't take credit for starting One Feeds 2. Actually, a, a friend of mine actually started it in, in London. But I was in London, you know, taking a look at kind of Indian concepts there because I always wanted to do an Indian concept too. And I happened to come into this Indian concept that had One Feeds 2. Okay. And I said, man, that is an amazing, amazing effort. You know, I wanted to learn more about it. So I, I learned more about it. I, I called up the number that one feeds to. They didn't return my number. I just kept calling and calling and calling. <laughs> and I think they got so annoyed with me. They were like, okay, who are you? You know, from America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I, you know, I built a relationship with these guys. And I said, let me have the rights to one feeds to here in the States. And I'll try to grow that brand inside of my restaurants. So, you know, when we started any one of our concepts, we just put that into our, into our, our system, what the way the, we operate. What is the significance and the value of incorporating some philanthropic entity to what you do? What, I mean, beyond that, it's just the right thing to do, right? Yeah. But what, just take it from there. I, I, I mean, I, number one, I just think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, I, I, and, and I think customers appreciate it, too. And what I love about One Feeds, too, it's simple. You know, for every meal you provide, we provide a, a, a child a school meal that's living in poverty. And what I love about the, that basis is that it's, it's providing a school meal. So what we're trying to do is motivate these kids to go to school yeah. so that they get educated, they get their meal, and they break the chains of poverty through education. Mm. So, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to do with the program. Breaking the cycle. Breaking the cycle. Yeah. And, and I'm proud to say we've, you know, the entire organizations we provided over 20 million meals wow. to kids. So we're making a difference. And, you know, there's 300 million kids living in, like, extreme poverty. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, again, I'm a dreamer. I, I like to look way out there. But if we can get more and more restaurants to do this, we can literally solve childhood hunger. Yeah. You know, get rid of it. Yeah. And, and that would be an amazing thing. So. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how accurate this stat is, but I heard it somewhere, and I echo it a lot, and I should probably look it up, um, that, like, something like 50% of all the food we produce gets thrown away. Yeah. And, they, right. and, it, and then you think about how many people in this world are hungry, how much in food insecurity is there in the world. And it's just like, why isn't there a better way? Like, what are we doing? Like, how can we not give a fuck? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah I hear you. And you know what's funny is that I think living in America, like, we forget how good we have it But here. even in America, like I was just in Mississippi and uh, we had, there's the extra table because of the, the amount of food security. Like one in four children in yep. Mississippi are hungry. Yep. You know, it's, it's not just yeah. across, an over. It's here too. You yeah. Know? It's, it's everywhere in the world. Yeah. And, and I think, and again, I think there's just a way to solve the problem. Yeah. You know, and, and, and restaurants are at the end of the day, if you become a restaurant tour, you love to take care of people. You love 
to give people great food. You want to feed people. That's part of like what your DNA is. Mm-hmm. And I think this this charity just fits right into that. Mm-hmm. And it's simple for the consumer to understand. Yeah, I love it. Um, so how is your world different today? Because, I mean, I should keep on going. So you have uh, where we we're seeing today. Uh, Invicto is one of your concepts. Yes. Uh, you have... You opened in 2018, uh, one feed, or you didn't start, but you you, you adopted the the program yes. one feeds two, uh, venture. You also did Blackwood Barbecue in 2018 too. Yeah, 2018 so, was a busy year for you. Yeah, well, you know I can't stand still, man. <laughs> I got I got to keep moving. Yeah. So uh, Blackwood Barbecue was actually a brand that already existed. Okay. Um, How many locations were there? So they had involved? three locations. Okay. Uh, when we got involved. And, um, you know, Stephanie, who was uh, her and her husband, Mike, were the founders of Blackwood Barbecue. And I talked to Stephanie while I was building NAFNAF. So there was already a relationship there. She would ask me, you know, for some advice on different things we were doing at NAFNAF. And so when I left, we talked and she said, you know, we would love to have some help with Blackwood Barbecue. And I said, well, it's perfect. You know, we're building this restaurant business that we're this group that we're going to be bringing in some groups to help grow. So we, we got involved with Blackwood Barbecue when they were three locations, and we quickly doubled them to six locations um, within about a year and a half. So what things needed to happen for them to go from three to six? Where were they, where were they short? How did you help them get to I, I think we, just, we helped them with their processes, the profitability, um, learning how to operate a restaurant a little Can bit more efficiently. Can you get granular? Can you give us specific Yeah, specific I mean, they, there, there was just, you know, when we first came in, there was a lot of labor issues, like in terms of just having a lot of labor. The systems on the way they were producing the food into the stores was creating a lot of labor that we just didn't need. Can we go um, even a layer deeper? Yeah, so they had a commissary kitchen. Okay. And there was like an army of people producing food at the commissary that then would then deliver the food into the Chicago locations because you weren't able to smoke inside of the loop in Chicago. Got it. So they were, they were basically delivering all, all this food, and there was like a big staff where um, what we wanted to do was kind of get rid of the commissary, all that production that was going on there, really just smoke the meats in our commissary, but then do all the sides and all the other kind of food inside of the kitchens because you have labor in the restaurants yeah. anyways that yeah. they can do that stuff you know in the morning or when it's slow or whatever um so we kind of just restructured the way the business was working uh to get to profitability and on top of that we also came in there and we we worked on the design you know we we created kind of a new brand of blackwood barbecue um, that was, you know, very authentic, very experiential, kind of like what you're sitting here in Invicto, where you feel like you're in Mexican si- Mexico City. Uh, there you, you feel like you're in Austin, Texas. We're kind of trying to create that vibe, that authentic barbecue vibe. So to make the brand closer to the food. Closer to the food, making an experience. Got it. Like we want people to come in here. Like a perfect example of it is Schaumburg, Illinois. Like Schaumburg is like a Chicago suburb. Like there's thousands of them across this country. And when you walk into the Schaumburg location, you don't feel like you're in Schaumburg anymore. You feel like you've been transported to a different place in time. And that's what we want to be able to do with our restaurants is transport people. So it's not only about the food, but it's also about the experience that you're, you're, you're eating in. Yeah. So you help them get more efficient with their labor by saying, hey, you have people who are just twiddling their thumbs. When, like, how can we take people and make them more efficient and give them more responsibility and get more done with less, right? Exactly. Uh, so you increase your margins by decreasing your labor yes. expense. Um, you also, you said you helped them with their profitability. 
uh, menu engineering, things like yeah, this? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was from everything, from menu engineering. I mean, we added Nashville hot chicken sandwiches, you know. This is how I, you became a fan I, of Joe Fontana? Yeah, Joe. I was a big <laughs> fan of Joe. So, uh, you know, we, we did Nashville hot. I mean, we, again, my brother and I lived in Nashville, so we knew about Nashville hot, you know, yeah. sandwiches. But I think he started right around this time, 2017, 18, yeah, right? Yeah, he, he was something like yeah. that. So, but, um, did he give you any of his secrets? No, of course not. Of course not. But you know, he, he's great. We, yeah. He's got a great product. Yeah. Um, so we created a uh, you know Nashville hot sandwiches. We created different types of menu items. Um, a lot of it was kind of the back end that you have to do. You know, we 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 had a national Coca Cola contract. We had a, a meat contract. You know, we we negotiated a, a broad line distribution contract. So all these things that generally, uh, you know, an entrepreneur might not be doing, we were able to do because of the power that we had at Venture Kitchen. Yeah. And plus, a lot of these suppliers wanted to jump on the train. They knew they knew what we do. They knew we grow brands. Yeah. We know we're not we're not in this business to grow you know, to six locations. Yeah. We're in this to build a national they're, chain. They're playing the long game. Yes. They want to get in on yeah. it. And so, um, you know, we had companies that did that with NAFNAF. You know, yeah. I remember our hummus supplier, you know, got on the board and they're doing great right now, making yeah. all the hummus for NAFNAF. Yeah. So it's like there's there's companies that want to get on onto our growth. So got that's, it. That's what cool. all the more granular uh, menu engineering? Did you did you restructure the way that you were pricing things? Yeah, or we were they, re- sol- I mean, were they solid there? No, we, we restructured the way we were pricing things. We restructured the way we did things. Can you give us some like advice um, on how I'll to do that? I'll give you a, like one just right right now. Please. We you know we um, a, a good example is just like the Nashville hot chicken sandwich, yeah. right? So when you look at barbecue, one of the problems with barbecue when you really dig into the business is that you can't go in and eat a heavy meal like of smoked meats every single day. No. So we had to engineer the menu on how do we get people into our restaurant more often? Yeah. So it's like, you know, you can go in on a Friday or a Saturday and have your barbecue platter, but then you can come in on a Monday or Tuesday, have a Nashville hot, yeah. you know, chicken sandwich or tenders, or you can come in on a, you know, Monday and have a, a uh, salad, a barbecue salad. So we, we added different things like a salad and the Nashville hot tenders to try to kind of, create more opportunities yeah. to bring people in. And if you have four people that want to go out to eat, two of them want barbecue, but two of them are like, I don't want that much food right now. You, like, you got it. I just want a salad. Then there's an option for like, you're, you're taking away the nose. Yes. Right. Like yes. there's something for everybody. Exactly. So how do you find the balance? Bef- because I think there's a balance bef- between finding your core focus. Like we are a barbecue restaurant. And then can you get too out of control with trying to have too much? You, you can. And, yeah. and, you know, I think, again, when I look at our success we had with NAFNAF, part of it was because we kept things simple. And so I think, you know, anytime you do that, you expand the menu, there's a balancing game between keeping it simple and also providing enough options to really drive revenue. Um, so, you know, we, we did that with barbecue. You know, we, we, we wanted to, the reality is we wanted to take barbecue from just a barbecue concept to more of a southern halo where we're able to put in a fried chicken sandwich and, and really uh, kind of jump on the, the popularity of fried chicken right now. Got it. Um, any other lessons before we move on to nonsense and fair? Uh, lessons of barbecue? Well, just the, yeah, like up, up to this point and what you're doing with what barbecue and you also, we, we can dive deeper into Invicto too, if you want to. Yeah. I, I'm just trying to think of lessons. I mean, you know, um, that people could use. Um, 
No, I mean, I think we talked a lot about it. I mean, it, it, again, I think it's just the biggest lessons that when you're growing, and I'm taking from a perspective when you're trying to grow a, a chain. Yeah. It, it just comes down to real estate. A lot of it comes down to real estate. If, so, you, got, if you got a box that really works, it's just going to come about finding the right real estate for your, for your box. To when you say economic. box, you're talking about the concept. Yeah, the economic box that we have here. Okay. Um, you know, and it, and it just comes down to like finding the right real estate and being patient with the right real estate that you go into. In your opinion, what's the right real estate? Well, it, I think it varies for every single concept. Yeah. I mean, you know, you mentioned Fry the Coop. I think they can go almost anywhere. Yeah. They just got a kind of a unicorn concept. Um, for us, we need to make sure that we hit on the, the lunch day part, the, the dinner day part. We have a corporate population around. We have a nights and weekend population around. So when you take a look at that, I mean, it, for in Chicago, it's the Oprah's, the Naperville's, the Schomburg's that we need to get into. Um, the problem, again, with those locations is that they're great locations and yeah. great markets. Everybody so they're tough them. to get into. Yeah. And you're fighting against every major national player that wants to come to Chicago and get into those locations. So you have to build the relationships up with the developers. Okay. And so I have, I have some great relationships with developers um, where they're letting me get into these spaces. How do you build a concept. relationship with the developer? It's, it's just like anything. You, yeah. you got to just like call them up and, 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 and be a man of your word and, and you know, do things the right way. And if, if you prove that to these developers, they're going to give you first opportunity when they develop a new development. So what they want is a path of least resistance. Yes. They're building someplace. They're, they're building a, a, a complex uh, I don't know what you would call it. Uh, what's the term that you would use for a development? A development, yeah. right? Um, and they're looking for tenants that yeah. they don't have to worry about, right? Exactly. They want to build it and plug, right? Yes. And like, and if you can be a solution for them, if you can be their path of least resistance, then they're going to keep coming back to you. Yes. So, so I also, so what comes first, like? If you have that relationship, do they reach out to you and say we're doing this, or is there like a terms like? Where like, if they're building something like, if you if you're partnering with them, you have to go into it. Like, yeah. Well, so I mean, when you first start it, you yeah. gotta just pound on doors, yeah, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm you know back when we were Naf Naf Grill and no one knew what Flaffo and Shama was, I had to like really sell NAFNAF, you know, to these developers. Because they're like, what is Schwama? What's Flaffo? We don't want this in our development. I'm yeah. like, yeah, you do. This is like the hottest <laughs> food there is. Little do you know. <laughs> yeah, come on out. Let yeah. me show you. And I had to like bring landlords. I had to like feed them. I had to take catering to them so that they understood what we were doing. And of course, you know, as you do that and you start to get into these developments, you just build up trust that you're a good operator, you have a good brand, and so on and so forth. So, you know, at the end of the day, I've this is, you know, what you said, 14 years now, 13 years of building these relationships that I have. So now they come to me. They're saying, hey, we're building this new development in Oakbrook. Do you want it? And Oakbrook is one of these you know, markets that every single national player wants to get into. And I got three of my concepts going right into Oakbrook. And that's because of the work I've done over the past you know, 12 years building these relationships with these uh, you know, uh, developers and doing what I've always said I was going to do. Got it. Um, so the next concept was nonsense. Yes. What was it about nonsense? When did you and discover I'm excited that? about this. Yeah. You I, just, they, they came on board in 2020? Yes. So they just came on board. I knew. Uh, so Haran and Varel were the original founders of, NAF, or, uh, of nonsense. I got all these. Love that brand. Uh, yeah, me. right? It's great. And so they, they were actually open right near one of our NAF NAFs. And so I, I knew these guys uh, for well, probably about seven years now. And, you know, when we got 
when we did Venture Kitchen, they asked to then come into our group. So then we brought them into our group and, and started to do it. And what I love about Nonsense, it's the same game plan as NAF NAF. I mean, it's almost identical. It, like Frank and I, my brother, we were in the, the uh, nonsense that we have in the loop. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is almost like it brings back uh, flashbacks yeah. of yeah. NAF NAF. You know, they're, instead of baking pita, we're baking you know, beautiful naan. Yeah. They have very, a lot of the similar proteins. What's the difference between pita and naan? So pita is uh, a pocket type of bread, yeah. and naan is more doesn't really have a pocket, but has a little bit more charring. How do they butter. make that pocket? Oh, dude, that was so hard. Like that was a hard part of it. Yeah. You have to have the right temperature uh, uh, to be able to create that pocket inside of that pita. Yeah. And if you were off on temperature, if you were off on water, you didn't get that nice pocket. So that yeah. was what Sahar really focused on. We got it down to a science. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. So nonsense. When you're when brands approached I me, mean, you were familiar with this brand because they were close to one of your, your NAF NAFs, right? Yeah. So you're probably looking at them as competition. Like, oh, these guys are really similar to what we're doing. Uh, but you also probably respected it. Um, what are you looking for in a brand if they approach you? Like, what, what kind of things do you want to see? Well, it, it, you know, I looked at nonsense because I've been a big believer in Indian yeah. food. Okay. Like, I'm a huge believer in Indian food. Yeah. The fact that Indian food hasn't made it to America yet. You know, it blows it's my coming, mind. Man. It's coming. The yeah. wave is finally coming. We just went to Indian in uh, Chicago a couple of nights ago. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Uh, beautiful. Beautiful, right? It's yeah. delicious food. Yeah, but uh, the, the reality is Americans don't know it. And it was very similar to the way I felt, you know, 12, 13 years ago with NAF NAF where no one knew what Middle Eastern food, food was. I mean, it's some of the best food in the world. Yeah. And the culture is beautiful. You know, I, I, I was saying I took my first trip to India in February and I was blown away by it. I mean, it's an absolutely beautiful food, absolutely beautiful culture, and I can't wait to bring it to America and really define what Indian food is. And so we're doing that with nonsense. And so, you know, even though they wanted to come on board, Haran and Varel were a missing piece of the puzzle for me. I needed someone like them who understood the food, understood the culture, could, could do it. So it was a great partnership once again. Um, so, so um, what were, where were they? Like, like kind of like what you did with, um, sorry, Blackwood Barbecue. Where was nonsense and how did you help them? So they were kind of in the same situation. I yeah. mean, they were, it was, you know, uh, they had a great brand, lines out the door. Profitability was kind of suffering a little bit. And so, uh, you know, when we first got in, we just kind of took a look at the business and said, where can we improve upon things? Yeah. And so we started to improve upon those things. Uh, with the COGS and labor model and all that stuff. And then the pandemic hit. I mean, literally, we did a capital raise, uh, you know, like a month before the pandemic hit. Oh. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, like every restaurant's closed in the Chicago Loop. Yeah. Right. So here we are sitting with these two locations and we're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to you know, burn a bunch of cash. We don't know how long this is going to take. Um, fortunately, both of their leases came due during the pandemic. So we just said, you know what? We have no idea how long this is going to be. We're just shutting it down. We're going to close up the stores. And so we went from having two locations to having zero. Yeah. Right? During the pandemic. Do you think that was the right move? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Because it saved us a bunch of cash. Yeah. Um, And the reality is both nonsenses were in what I would consider B locations inside the loop. Yeah. Um, So what we did was during that time when we we saw the pandemic was kind of coming to an end, um, we we negotiated a, kind of what I would call an A location in the loop, right on Franklin Street, which Got is it. kind of the main business corridor. So how long were they closed? 
So we were closed probably over a year. Okay. Yeah, well, over a what year. did Haran and uh, who was the other partner? Uh, Varel. Varel. What did they? How did were they making money if they they couldn't work? Uh, well, we were able to provide them money through the capital raise that we did. Got it. Um, and you know, the the reality is we were we were still working. We were working yeah. on menu development. We knew that when we went into the loop, we were going to have one type of menu, and then when we went into the suburb suburban markets, we were going to have a different type of menu, a more of a full menu. And, and again, I, I guess that's one of the things that I could say that I learned by my biggest learning from NAFNAF is that in the loop, we always have assembly line yeah. because you have to be able to process, you know, $2,000 an hour. You just got to yeah. push it, push it out. You're pushing food out. In the suburbs, assembly lines don't work as well. Why? Um, just because of the fact that I think a lot of people look at Chipotle and they're like an anomaly. Like they're Chipotle. Yeah. You can't compare yourselves to them. I think the minute you do assembly line, you lose dinner. You lose kind of that feel of like having more of a restaurant. Um, it's harder to keep your food fresh if you're not like doing, doing two and a half million dollars uh, yeah. a year like Chipotle does. Um, there's food waste. It's, it's just a harder model to work with if you're not Chipotle. Yeah. Um, so what we did was we went to two different models. We went to a model, an assembly line model in our urban where we know we have to push out. We're making all of our money in two hours. We've got to push out as much food as we can. And then we have an, a, a suburban model, which is going to be an expanded menu, and everything's going to be cooked to order, and you get a pager system. Got it. And you know, we originally did NAFNAF that way, and then we went to a full assembly line version. Um, if I look back at it, that was one of the big learnings I have is keep suburban models made to order, keep urban models assembly line. Got it. Um, you mentioned that you also help them with their cost of goods and their labor. So I'm assuming the cost of goods, same situation, uh, volume purchasing, yeah, be- better relationships with, with vendors, instantly going to be saving them money there. Yes. Um, what gives, Get specific on the labor, though. What were they doing with their labor that wasn't that could have used improvement? It's it, again. It's just looking at a labor matrix. Yeah. You know, when do you need that labor? Um, you know, fortunately, with urban models, they're pretty easy to run because every day is the same, Monday through Friday. You know, you're going to get hit from eleven thirty to one thirty. You know, that's when you need all the labor. Um, I think where we bring more of the value in is when you get into suburban markets. Suburban markets are a totally different animal. You you get hit at lunch, then you have a dead period. You get hit at dinner, and you need to really focus on your labor model. Uh, in a suburban market more so than you do in an urban market. So what things do you do with your suburban labor model? Like get specific. Is it like, is it tiering? Like what? Yeah, it's tiering of when you bring in the, you bring in the labor when you need it. Of course there's, you know, you have your morning labor that has to produce all the food. Can we make all our food fresh? And then you got to make sure you have the proper amount of labor uh, for your sales that you're going to have at lunch. And then you got to make sure you, you kind of pull that labor away during that dead period when you have, you know, usually from two to five, the sales dip. And then you have another rise uh, at dinner where you have to bring then more labor to support that dinner until you close. Is there a technology piece to this? Yeah. Yeah. We, we use uh, different uh, software like home base and things like that to really work on our labor matrix. Was that something that, that nonsense wasn't doing before you got on? No, they, they really didn't have that. And, okay. and like I said, you know, urban models are pretty they're much easier to operate because of the fact that More it's the same every yeah, single day. Consistent, yeah. It's a, you know, and, and again, when I say it's inconsistent, like, you know, Monday and Tuesday in the suburbs are completely different from Friday, Saturday, and Sundays. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you, you got to just work with your labor matrix to make sure that you're covering those revenues that you need. Are you using the same tech stack in all of your concepts? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. And what is that tech stack? So, well, we, we got a lot. I mean, we got, we got home base that we use for our labor. Um, you know, we have uh, the counting software across the board that we use. Um, so, I mean, a lot of it is, again, just, just similar tech stack that we just use and we build with each, each brand. What, do you mind getting specific with accounting? The, the, uh, it, honestly, we just use QuickBooks right okay. now yeah. yeah, for what we're using it for uh, rather than putting the big spend on a more advanced uh, uh, system. I think a lot of people go back and forth on that. What is your rationality for why you don't think you need something more than QuickBooks? Uh, we, we do. I mean, we're, we were in the process of like uh, switching it over um, to, you know, we used Great Plains before okay. um, and switching that over to it. But, you know, with the pandemic hitting, we just weren't sure how long it was going to take. Yeah. And so we were just kind of everything just we put a stop to everything we were developing on. Got it. And until we kind of see that start to improve, we're not going to make any big investments. until. So then. as somebody who's a visionary and is always thinking about growth and being ahead of the curve, I would imagine, right? You're, you're ahead of where you like. You're, you're thinking about where you want to go, right? Um, right now, I'm yeah. sure. In terms of technology, in terms of the next move to evolve your tech stack, what, where is your eye going? What, what interests you right now? So, a lot, I mean, a lot of things. I think digital ordering yeah. is big, and yeah. you got to have a really good digital platform for that. Um, and again, these are something that like Frank really focuses on as a partner, um, uh, making sure that you know our apps are working well. The, it's a it's a, a seamless kind of transaction. These are operations questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, he uh, you know he really focuses on that in terms of making sure that our app and you know is seamless. Uh, you know our our delivery things like that. Uh, we're even working on another uh, project and it's way out there, but it's creating restaurants inside the metaverse. You know, oh, if, uh, yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it's a pretty way interesting. Ahead of the curve there. It's pretty interesting project. You know, yeah. and and the main reason why we're we're looking at that is you know, and again we have to see where the metaverse goes. You know, yeah. it's it's kind of way out there. But you know, you, you think about how much a restaurant spends on technology or on uh, on their development on their experience. You know, how much we spent on this restaurant. In the metaverse, I can do that for a fraction of the experience, you know, uh, a fraction of the dollars and create an experience inside of that metaverse. Yeah, um, and I'm about to lose half my listeners by making the same because I know not everybody loves Joe Rogan, but I, I do listen to that show. I'm a fan. I love his interview style. I, I like to I listen to him because I enjoy his conversations, but I also think he's a great podcast host. And he does he, he, he finds a good balance between talking and listening and really just being generally genuinely curious about the topic right um but he had the the founder of facebook mark zuckerberg on the show recently and it was a really interesting conversation about the metaverse and like where that's going yeah and joe was he was drilling him man he was asking questions and uh one of the things mark zuckerberg said he's uh is that the one thing the holy grail is that trying to make people feel like they're actually with each other is the goal um, do you think they're going to do it? I, I do. Why? I, I do. I, I don't know. I'm just a believer in the metaverse. Okay. I, I just think that, you know, you got big tech companies that are plowing a bunch of money into it. And I think with anything new, it's going to take time. Um, but, uh, you know, for the restaurant business, I look at it as a way to, you know, let's, let's just say you're a ghost kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think the problem with ghost kitchens is like no one has a relationship with that brand. Yeah. You never see it. You never get to experience it. Um, even Invicto, like for most of your listeners, they've never been into Invicto. But if I had a metaverse Invicto where they can just put on some goggles and get an experience of what Invicto is as a brand, mm-hmm. I see that as being very powerful. So they'd be able to sit 
like they feel like they're in the restaurant, right? They'll be able to look around and see a physical space. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of the vision. Yeah, of how I mean, it imagine. Works, I mean, you can go. I mean, imagination is limitless inside yeah. of the metaverse. I mean, yeah. you could literally put on the goggles, get transported to Mexico City. You're walking around Mexico City, and next thing you know, you see a taqueria Invicto yeah. in front of you, yeah. and then you can go and order your. You know your tacos Would and you, get them delivered to you. How does that work? Would you have to hire somebody to de- design like a basically a video game space for you? Yeah, you would have to developers to you know develop it, and we've have actually you, have you priced that? We've already done it. We've developed What's, a Blackwood barbecue inside how, of the metaverse. What kind of budget does one need to be able to do that? Well, we have partners on that. I mean, I you know they basically did it. Uh, I'm not sure what the actual budget is on it, yeah. but like you know they developed it where we you can literally walk inside of a Blackwood barbecue inside the metaverse and get the experience of the brand. So if you want to get ahead of this metaverse curve right like what what's your advice what's what's the steps we take oh i don't i think we're so far ahead of it right now uh you know i think the metaverse really has to develop but what but you're what, you're making moves you're doing oh I, I am because i i just believe at at some point the metaverse is going to become part of our lives yeah i, I think right now it's very early state i mean think about like, i'm not that excited about it if i'm being honest but i don't think i'm gonna be able to stop it well but <laughs> I, i'm you know parmy's not either parmy's yeah. a little scared of it but the reality is think about cell phones yeah. right i remember the first cell phone i had was like massive right yeah. And now you're getting a cell phone that's in the palm of your hand that does everything for you in life. Yeah. Like, I, I literally see kind of the metaverse happening the same way where it's going to be like a pair of glasses you put on. And it's going to be not only the metaverse, but you're also going to have augmented reality. I mean, imagine... What's the difference between metaverse and augmented reality? Well, imagine reality? that you, you walk into a restaurant right now and you, you see how much money we spent on the walls and the art and everything like that. If you had augmented reality, you could literally leave the walls uh, white. You put on your glasses, you walk in, and all of a sudden you look on the walls and it's like you're in Mexico. Yeah. You know, you got birds flying over you, you got fireworks going off, or whatever. You know, and, and that's so that's a combination between reality and, and uh, virtual reality. Yeah. Um, so. Can I play devil's advocate? Sure. Can, I be, can I be the pessimist? Absolutely. Uh, so, in that conversation with Zuckerberg, he said the, the holy grail is making people feel like just like they're in the same room with the next person. I don't think it's going to be that easy because I think there's a lot, there's a reason why I travel around the country. I could be doing this remotely. I choose not to because there's something that I get personally from being in the same room as you from just the body language, the, 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 um, and this sounds weird, but like your pheromones, like we're, we're, we're sharing stuff, dude, that we're not even aware of right now. It sounds kind of weird. You know what I'm saying? And there's also evidence that, your heart literally radiates energy. Yeah. And if you're in a certain proximity to somebody, like you're, you're feeling my energy. Yeah. I, I, I you agree know? with you on You know, and, yeah, I and I don't know how you recreate that I, in yeah. a digital world. I think that that's our saving fucking grace. If I'm being honest, <laughs> yeah. it's like, listen, like no matter what we do. And I think that it's going to take trying to recreate that for us to realize the science and studying that goes into how do we recreate this is going to help us realize that we can't. In that the best thing to do is this. Yeah, honestly, I hope you're right because <laughs> you know? I, I agree. I'm a people person. Yeah. I like I love being in front of you, but the reality is, you take a look at like the workforce. Yeah, everything's done through Zoom now. Yeah, people aren't even going to the offices anymore, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, you can fight it or you can try to see if there's a business opportunity in it. Yeah, and so you know, again, this is way we're way ahead of it. But it's just an idea that we came up with that we're taking a look at. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think that that research that goes into trying to recreate it is going to send us down a different path. And, the, and here's a perfect analogy. 
food, the food system. Yeah. Over the past 50 years, we, we fucked with the food system to make it more, like to make it the best thing ever, to make it more affordable, to make it more accessible, and to make sure everyone's getting fed. Now we're all sick. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, there's actions, there's, there's consequences to our actions and to Absolutely. our things. And I don't, the thing now, that we have now is foresight, I think. And I think what, so what happens when you put bad stuff into your body or you give yourself bad ex- experiences is that you, you're, you, you're, you're full, but you're not completely full. You're not full with the good stuff. You're not full with the organic food that was raised ethically and all these things and the ripple effect that that has in the environment and the, the surroundings. We're realizing that we went the wrong way. And I think that as we go into the future, like as we're trying to connect people and use technology to connect people that we're going to, that like, again, that it's the same effect, like that we're going to re- realize that the, the best thing to do. And that's why you're seeing this, this resurgence of like holistic food. Cause we're realizing that if we want to feel good, if we want to be healthy, we need to go back to like the most raw form of food possible. Like, yeah. like not just fresh food, but like what's this, is the soil healthy? You yeah. know, we're just taking it down to like this, 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 like, like this as close to nature thing. And like, that's how we get the most. And I think we're going to learn the, the same thing about, na- about relationships. We are nature. We're yeah. a part of nature. We are animals. You know what I'm saying? I hope so. We, I mean, honestly, I do. I, I hope so. That's my hope. Yeah, I, I do too. Because but I think, I, yeah, I, I mean, I was just saying like, you know, I, I walk into Chicago now, right? Chicago is not the same Chicago it was before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, people are coming in Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. It's half the population it was. They, no one really comes on Monday or Fridays. I, I want to see that energy of yeah. the city. Like I, I miss that energy of yeah. what it was, you know, pre-pandemic. That doesn't mean what we're saying doesn't mean that the metaverse isn't going to exist. Yeah. Like we're learning more about health food and like good holistic food, but McDonald's is still here and not yeah. going anywhere. Every time I drive past McDonald's, there's still a line wrapped around. They're the not building. going anywhere. I don't get it, yeah. man. <laughs> but yeah. like, but yeah, like, but I think that I also don't think this is going anywhere. I think that there's going to, I think the world is just going to be much more fragmented. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot more option. You know? Absolutely. Um, Anything we haven't discussed up to this point, anything that you think you can speak un- uniquely to that you want to get out, special knowledge you have, advice you have? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, we, we, we covered a lot of different things. Um, you know, I, I think if you're just looking to restaurateurs that are trying to, like, trying to grow a brand into a chain, I mean, that's what I, that's what I do. That's what I know. Um, I mean, the biggest piece of advice I can give you is, like, don't, like, you just got to have tenacity. Yeah. You know, there's going to be so many challenges that come your way. Um, you just got to keep powering through them. You know, no matter what happens, you just put your head down and go through it, you know, and figure out the problem. And I think a lot of restaurateurs, they think that there's going to be a point that there's never problems. The restaurant business is just managed chaos. It's yeah. always problems. Yeah. Like, it's always problems. Yeah. And so you got to, like, learn to just be comfortable yeah. with that solve those problems and move on to the yeah. next one. Also, the world's not burning. You know, the world's not exactly. going to crumble around you. Exactly. You might in your world, in your headspace, be like the world's on fire. Yes. But sometimes you just need to be like, oh, this is just me. This yes. is just my world. And like, just keep going. Like, and don't let it break yes. you down, man. Because yes. at the end of the day, it's just food. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. But yeah. you know, the, the funny thing is you say that, but the reality is that that's like what a lot of restaurant tours are like. Yeah. Everything's just like a burning bridge. Yeah. And they, you know... It, you have to understand that 
the problems are just never going to end. Yeah. Like it just, it's always there. Yeah. It's, and you so need you to have, have that to Buddhist it. mentality. Yeah, it's like it's this. Gotta be zen. It's like this right now. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> so I can do. Go on to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, it, it gets boring if you don't have those problems. Yeah. You know, that's what's fun. So Restaurant Unstoppable's mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Finance guy with no restaurant experience. You go and you grow 38 locations in seven years. We're inspired. You told us how we did it or how you did it. We're, we're empowered, right? But on that note of transformation, um, thinking about going into the future intentionally and in a better world, right? What does that look like for you? How do we go into the future intentionally? Like what needs to change? How do we, how do we be a part of the transformation? How do we be a part of the change? What needs to change? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's kind of like what we're doing. I, I, I hope every entrepreneur, every business person tries to work in some type of good, social good into their business. Yeah. I think any business can be created to make money. But I think you take it, you take your business to another level. You take yourself to another level as an individual if you can create something that's going to do good for people as well. And, um, you know, I, I guess that would be my biggest thing is is challenge people to do that. You know, and, and I look at, you know, again, what we're doing at One Feeds 2, do I think we would ever get to 20 million meals provided? No. You know, this is just a, it's kind of a silly idea we had, but now it's becoming a movement yeah. um, that's, I think, really powerful. So I, I would hope that your listeners, you know, when they're thinking about their business, they create something like that inside of their yeah. own business. And it comes back around. You it know, does. It, I believe it feels that. like a, a big expense and a big you know, I'm, I'm running a restaurant. It's not enough on my plate. I got to be philanthropic and donate my time and create these systems. It will come back around. It will serve you. It will take you. It will take you further. I also believe everybody has the ability to work that in and make yeah. it profitable. Yeah. You'll find a way to do it. Yeah. You know, beautiful. I've loved this conversation. We're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors. We're going to bust out a speed round. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time, these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. P. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back, and it's time to bust out a speed round. I got 10 questions for you. 
first one is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Oh, mine, tenacity. What is your biggest weakness? Myself. What do you mean? Um, you know, that, that voice you have in your head that uh, puts doubt into you. <laughs> I think, you know, that would always be my biggest weakness. Yeah. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing a team? Love and passion. How do you know they have that? You got to see it. Mm. It's not something that you, you just have to, they have to show it to you. What's your biggest challenge today? Real estate. Mm. And how are you overcoming that challenge? Just, you got to be patient. Make sure you get the right real estate for your, your brand. I'm kind of surprised that that's a challenge because you'd think there'd be a lot of restaurants going out of business and real estate opening. It's not. The sub- suburbs have been strong. Yeah. You know, I mean, in, in the Chicago loop, yes. Yeah. Not in the suburbs. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a core value, a way to be. Be a good person. If you're a good person to your teammate, to the customers, everybody's winning. Yeah. What is one uncommon standard of service? So something that's common within the four walls of your restaurants to go above and beyond what's expected but not common throughout the industry. Well, I hate to say about the industry, but delicious food. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta, you got to have, like, it, we're a restaurant. That's the number that one is priority. A service. That's the number one priority yeah. we have here. Yeah. What is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? So I'm a, I'm going to be kind of funny, but I'm, I'm a David Goggins fan. Who's David Goggins? David Goggins is a motivational guy that just, you know, it's hardcore. Yeah. And I'm one of those hardcore guys. I, I When I played sports, I loved a coach that would yell at me and, you know, really drive it into me. Um, David Goggins is that type of guy. So he has a Does book he, that, what's he the has book? a book that, uh, the book's called actually uh, Can't Hurt Me. Beautiful. By David Goggins. We'll Great have, book. We'll have the link in the show notes. This is episode 939, restaurantunstoppable.com slash 939 if you want to pick up that book. And what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? I think get, in, get into their stores with their crew. Mm. Like really just dig deep into what the crew deals with every single day. Why is that so important? Because I think if, you, if you're going to run a business, you got to know what it feels like to be the dishwasher. you got to know what it feels like to be the cashier or what it feels like to be over a hot oven yeah. you know, all the time. And I think a lot, of ca- a lot of restaurateurs back out real quick. And I think you lose a lot of um, uh, insight into how your business is being run by not being inside of the, uh, in the kitchen. I, I always see it on like, um, you know, those, those hidden boss shows. I forgot what it's called. But when a CEO goes into... Undercover boss. Undercover yeah. boss. When they go into the kitchen, they have no idea how to make a hamburger. Yeah. It's like, you're the CEO. You should know how to make a hamburger, you yeah. know? So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, what is one piece of te- technology that you've recently developed that you're super excited about and that you think is going to have a huge impact on profitability, communication, anything along those lines? I know you mentioned Metaverse, but something else. Well, we did Metaverse. Uh, also, our, our apps. Your apps. You know, just, uh, I mean, we had to really invest into that during the pandemic. I did see that most of your concept had an app yes. associated with it. Yes. What, is, where, what platform is that built on? Uh, Lunchbox. Lunchbox? Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, I, what's great is when we, when we did an app with NAFNAF, I mean, we had to spend a lot of money on it. Yeah. Because uh, the technology was pretty new. Yeah. Nowadays, you've got companies like Lunchbox where it's, it's very affordable to build an app for yourself. What is your favorite feature? with that app uh just the ease of uh the ease of ordering for our you know not only for our team but for our customer 
did this have like a, an actual like did you see the the, the needle the needle move when you started using this oh app? absolutely like, in I what mean, way we, well like I told you we, we really invested in our app during the pandemic because yep. you weren't allowed to eat into our dining rooms yeah. so we had to like make sure there was an ability for our customers to order and then take the food to go yeah. um, so we made sure our app was looked great was easy to use um, and all those things. So that's one, one thing, this goes back and forth, and I'm divided on this. I don't really know, but I'm curious. But a lot of people are in the school of thought that if you have a really solid website that is dynamic, that has things built into it, the, the process for ordering can be just as easy. Uh, what, in your mind, why do you think that the app makes it even better? What, well, no, I, I think you, you got to have all the above. Right, you got to have as many easy ways for a customer to order as possible. If that means having a great website where they have a link that they can order on a computer, or if they can just pull out their phone and be able to order, or, or you know, order through the metaverse. I mean, yeah. whatever it is, it, you got to be able to have all those different avenues. Yeah. Specifically, what is it about the app that you think uh, sets it apart? I, I, again, I just the the ease of it and how you know you you have companies where I look at like Sweetgreen that yeah. create this unbelievable app. They put in so much money f- into it. Now you can get apps that are very comparable to yeah. theirs at a fraction of the cost. Yeah, it's just that technology has been is becoming a commodity now. Yeah, and it's really le- leveling the playing field, which is it's super great. exciting from the smaller concepts uh, that they can have access to those tools to make it not a disadvantage right exactly yeah and and you know not only that i mean i remember when that all first started coming out i mean we wanted a loyalty we wanted all these things that a big company has and you couldn't afford it or you had to pay a lot for it now you get it for a fraction of the cost now so that's helping the smaller restaurant tour now it's it's great beautiful okay this is the last question okay it's a doozy open your ears get ready for it if you got the news You'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? All right. So the first thing is love your family. One. Um, Second thing is find your passion. Two. Third thing is never give up. Love it. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, David. Uh, We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. That's actually how I found you. Joe called you out. He said, I should talk to you, get you on the show. He's a huge fan of what you do. Who's that person for you? Who's killing it in the industry right now? If you found out this person would be a guest on the show, you'd be like, I'm going to listen to that. I want to know what this person has to say. So I will tell you Haram Patel. Haram Patel. My my partner at Nonsense. You want a guy that learn about Indian food and Indian culture and all that. I mean, he's... He's a ball of energy. He's great. Is he based here in Chicago? He's based here in Chicago. All right. We'll have to add him on the list. We leave, we leave tonight, so we won't be able to get him this time around. Okay. But he's on our list. I'd love to make it happen. Can I reach out to you when that time comes? Absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And how can we connect if we've really just enjoyed listening to your story and to your mentorship? Uh, we maybe want to come join your team. Or maybe we just want to ask for some advice. Yeah. You can, you can go to our website uh, at uh, VentureKitchen.co. And uh, fill that we have a, uh, a form there that you can fill out to get uh, information to me or, or just get in contact with me. Um, but we'd love to have it. Social handles? Uh, I'm not so big into social, <laughs> uh, but my uh, you know all of our restaurants are on there, and you can easily 
uh, you know, we'll find getting them. to us. Yeah. Beautiful. David Sloan, thank you so much, my man, for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable, and our timing is perfect. Your first customers are walking through the door. We're going to start soon. Yeah. yeah. So uh, just thank you so much, man. All right. Thank you. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, David Sloan. Man, some great advice and just so incredible going from one to 38 locations and seven years with Naf Naf Grill. And uh, also just the importance of finding your true passion. And for David, that true passion is opening restaurants and scaling restaurants and helping, uh, you know, new time restaurateurs who have concepts with that have legs scale and i love that you're you know leaning into your true passion awesome stuff great interview thank you so much david sloan so if you're enjoying this podcast and you want more episodes just like it there's a few things you can do you can help us connect with our future guests. Who do you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest on the show? Uh, as you're listening to this, we are wrapping up in Atlanta, but our next planned road trip is to Arizona. We're going to be in Scottsdale and we're going to be in Phoenix and I'm willing to go anywhere in the state. Really? Uh, who's out there? Who who's killing it? Who is everyone going to for advice and mentorship? Who's leading the way? Who's who's the thought leader in your community? Please let us know. Uh, you can also subscribe to this podcast anywhere you're listening. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, head over to youtube.com slash restaurant unstoppable. And uh, if you like shorter content, then you'll love our YouTube channel. And we're also doing shorts like 90 second videos over there. So 20 minute videos that are like hyper uh, summaries of each episode. And then while we're on the road, we're sharing some behind the scenes stuff with the YouTube shorts over there. And uh, you can also support this podcast by supporting our sponsors, using our affiliate links, sharing this podcast with everybody and anyone, you know, aspiring to be great. And then lastly, come hang out in restaurant unstoppable network. The vision of the network is just getting out of the way, extending trust, the tools and services and people who've been referred to me organically in nearly 1000 episodes and just letting people connect and share knowledge. And um, not only are you connecting with these tools and services, but you're connecting with each other and past guests. So come hang out in restaurant unstoppable network. Just head to restaurant unstoppable network.com. And then lastly, I can't say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who help make this podcast possible. Sam from Sav and Sam.com for his videography and editing and Jared at Sumadre podcast for his editing and copyright. You guys make this possible. That's it for today. Until next time. Peace out.